0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, I uh, hope you are seated wherever that might be. Uh, I'm sorry you don't have that usual young, uh, fresh faced uh, gentleman. Uh, You have an old, hairy faced gentleman uh, this morning, but I am wearing a checked shirt, so there are some similarities. Can we just pray before we read God's Word? Father, once again, we just take time and we come and we sit at your feet. We thank you that this is the privilege that you have granted us who have come to know you through your lovely son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us and how it has been fully expressed through the gift of your son. And, the gift of your Spirit. And so we come to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this morning. And we know that you know everything about us. You know whether we've been having a bad week or a good week. You know whether we're down in the dumps or whether we're uh, joyful and expectant of good things. You know us, you love us, and you care for us. And as we come to you this morning, we thank you that your steadfast love is able to meet the need of every single one of us, mentally, physically, spiritually, and and in every other way, because you are this God who is sufficient for all of life. And as we meet, and as we worship you this morning, we ask you will continue to bless us. We thank you for the wonderful worship that we have already had, But we now seek to hear your word, to learn, and then to understand its application. Bless, we pray, your people, that we might be a blessing one to another and to all who would cross our path in the days ahead. We ask it for your glory and for the good of others. Amen. Can we just turn in our Bibles if you have them? And we're going to be reading from... Galatians, uh, comes after Corinthians, before Ephesians, and I'm reading from the NIV, starting in chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to be moving through a number of verses, so please just uh, stay in contact with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 5, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 13, you are my brother's. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. provoking and envying each other. And then, just one verse in chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I've given a title to this morning's address, The One Thing That Counts. I wonder when you think of your life as it is at this present moment, have you got your priorities right? I want to deal with three priorities this morning and suggest that these ought to be yours and mine each day. I want to deal with life's second priority. Being Irish, We go back to front. But I'm speaking on a subject this morning that I have to admit provides me daily with a great challenge. Some days are more challenging than others depending on the sort of people I come across as well as the mood that I'm in. The subject is love. Specifically, that of loving my neighbor as myself. Now I think there's an old song that says that love is in the air. And there's no doubt about it that as we look around during COVID-19, there are some wonderful things going on within our national health, their dedication, their sacrifice. Some wonderful things going on within the communities in our islands. There's wonderful things going on, even as I speak here in the community garden this morning and uh, the Digging Deeper team being out. There is love being expressed at this time. Just before this, Paul teaches the believers that they are to serve one another in love. And an earlier statement is made which is rather bold when he says in verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Some of you are maybe familiar with the excellent comic strip, Peanuts. Maybe I'm showing my age at this point. But one day, one of the characters, Lucy, asks Charlie Brown, the key character, why are we here on earth, Charlie Brown? And his response is, to make others happy, Lucy. Lucy thinks for a wee minute and then asks, then why are the others here? I sometimes think that way. And I have to tell the Lord that I've messed up in a certain relationship that day. A person I've maybe not properly respected or maybe not helped in a way that I could have. But there's no escaping the Lord's command to us, His people. We read of the expert in the law who came to Jesus one day and asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' response from Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then quoting from Leviticus, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is life's second priority I'm suggesting? That we seek daily to love our neighbor as ourselves. Paul writes in Romans 13 and 8, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Last year, I read a book called God Soaked Life by Chris Webb. I think John Mark had it out there in the shelves for quite some time. But he he writes here in the context of what should be at the heart of the church. Is it mission? He suggests no. He suggests that mission should flow from love. He says this, At its heart, the kingdom of God is not a missionary community that loves. It's a loving community that reaches out beyond itself. I love that. It's a loving community that reaches out beyond itself. Faithful followers of Jesus don't love people in order to share the good news about Jesus with them. They love people, period. That's the challenge. One of the ways they love is by sharing good news. But love is always the end. And other activities, sometimes we call them outreach activities, but we're talking about the general activities of our lives, not just that of the fellowship. Always the means to that end. Love always has the primacy. Love always the goal. So we can be in no doubt of the significance of this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. We also come in no doubt that it's a mighty task to be a lover like Jesus of others regardless of their religion, their gender, their race, their class or their character. But the challenge to the follower of Jesus is to love not just the lovable but the good, the bad and the ugly. How do I fulfill God's command? I want to suggest that we get our priorities right. Life's first priority. If loving others in the daily humdrum of life is what we are called to do, we also recognize that it's impossible for us to do so trusting in our natural resources. It's a supernatural task. And as such, our daily priority ought to be spending time with the Lord, who is the perfect role model for being a lover of humanity. He is the supernatural wrapped up in the natural. He and His resources provide us with everything we need to be lovers of others. Jesus reminds us of the priority of putting him first in that lovely conversation with two sisters who had a great love for him. You know the story. Martha lovingly serving through her gifting of hospitality and Mary taking time out. And I'm sure that up to that point, Mary had done what she needed to do. But she made a choice to sit at the feet of Jesus, to listen and to learn. In that moment, which of these two followers got their priority right? Well, Jesus tells us, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Remember what Paul said in 5, 6? Only one thing counts. Faith. Expressing itself in loving activity. And Jesus says, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Time with Jesus. I read recently some words of the great English poet William Wordsworth The world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours, we have given our hearts away. Mary's heart was fixed in Jesus, and so her resources were being supernaturally replenished. Because as Paul said to the Philippian believers, and my God will meet all your needs through His glorious riches. In Christ Jesus. One great Christian once said that Jesus' other name is reality. And you and I, in the reality of living out our faith in a fallen world, need to be looking to him daily as the totally all-sufficient one who enables us in the daily routines of life with all its problems and difficulties and challenges enables us to love the good, the bad, and the ugly. We must keep as our first priority our relationship with Jesus. He is our supernatural resource. I was a teacher for uh, almost 18 years, uh, and in leadership within that context, I was then in Christian ministry for almost 25 years and a leader in that context. In both those contexts, I dealt with all manner of sorts of people. One stands out in my ministry. There was someone who totally took the mat from under my feet. In the early days of my ministry, so much so that um, I wrestled with leaving ministry. There came about a fear in me, uh, an unsettledness. Um, I used to walk sometimes on a Sunday morning in the streets just crying out to God for the courage and the faith to go into the pulpit. It was a struggle. But an old man had once told me, Alistair, if you're called into a place or a ministry and you know the Lord has called you, then it must be the Lord who calls you out. And so I didn't hear the Lord's voice in the midst of that pain. But what I did was, as it says here in Galatians 6, I allowed my burden to be carried by two other men who were in my prayer triplet. I had a prayer triplet the whole way through my ministry. What a blessing. The outcome, that person became eventually a friend, a supporter. But it took me to humble myself and to cry unto the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It was the supernatural love of Jesus that enabled me to work through the pain of that over a very long time. Remember those comments of Jesus talking to the woman at the well when he he gave us that beautiful picture that our lives could be like streams of living water. He is our reservoir. And as we meet with Him, and as we allow Him to minister us, that reservoir of spiritual characteristics and love flows out or seeps out into our daily lives. I want to suggest to us this morning, just to remind us, I think it is important that as we seek to love, that we learn to know ourselves, our weaknesses, our strengths, uh, the things that trip us up, the the, the things that can uh, work against us in relationships. And we need to be ourselves as we seek to live for Jesus. We need to understand our spiritual gifts. We need to understand our natural gifts, along with the things that are a problem. We need to be honest with Jesus. We need to be familiar with Jesus. And He will work in us and through us to love people. The first commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. The second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. These ought to be our priorities. Come now to the third and last priority. Paul in this letter is, believe it or not, addressing Christians who are suffering from, what I would suggest, a form of memory loss. Here are people, and they're described, if you keep on, verse 15, biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And then he lists all the... the, the uh, aspects of the sinful nature uh, later on. And then he says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is a Christian fellowship. This is the people of God that Paul is writing to. Here's a people who have forgotten the basis on which a loving God brought them into a vital loving relationship with himself and with their fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, enabling them to be free, to be the people God created them to be. They have got themselves back into a form of religious slavery. He says in verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. These followers of Jesus, through false teachers, we call them Judaizers, were trying to live for him according to the Mosaic law and not according to grace. For it is by grace we have been saved. This not of ourselves, lest we boast. It is all of God. These are conflicting principles. And Paul sets out to spell out in these two chapters that the followers of Jesus are freed from the law in order to live a life of love. It is the greatest law. What makes this possible, or I should say, who makes this divine love possible in fallen human beings like us is the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is our third priority. It is to allow the Holy Spirit to be everything that he is meant to be in our lives. And so our priority should be to take to heart Paul's words in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. These two chapters of Galatians are a feast of food and drink for our Christian lives. And they help us to be aware of the stumbling blocks and the building blocks as to how to exercise our God-given freedom to grow up in our capacity to be true lovers of God and of people. Paul's first words are the basis for all that follows. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The false teachers that had come along after Paul's departure were of the belief that if the believers rejected the Mosaic law, they were rejecting righteousness. Paul's teaching could not be of God because if you were to be doing without the law, then your newfound freedom, or if you were to operate under the law, your newfound freedom would lead to liberality and to licentious living. One gentleman put it like this, man uncaged would have no reason not to sin. And Paul meets this argument head on. And here I was helped by a commentator, Lawrence Richards. He says, there are two ways to handle the beast in man. That is our old sinful nature. The approach of law was to cage the beast. Though it eagerly tried to break out, the approach of grace is to change the beast. Removing the bars is safe if the person's nature can be transformed. We are a transformed humanity because of grace. Otherwise, Paul is saying here, it is not law on the outside, but love on the inside that enables us to be people who make real to others the reality of God's love alive in us. His divine love is now resident with every one of us who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins. We are free from the guilt of sin because we know that we have God's forgiveness. We are free from the penalty of sin because Jesus paid the price on the cross. We are free from the power of sin in our daily lives as children of God and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can say no to it and yes to the Spirit. But we are also free from the law with its demands and threats because Jesus on the cross bore the curse of the law and killed off its tyranny. You and I are called to allow the Holy Spirit to have his rightful place in our lives daily as we seek to live for Jesus. He will do three things, Paul tells us in this passage. He will give us the power to live out the law of love. He will give us victory over the old nature. And he will give us the capacity to be fruitful in our character development, and in the activities of our lives. This is how much God loves you and I this morning. He has given us Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the all-sufficient resource that makes it possible to love our neighbors as ourselves. But like any other loving relationship, That is going to grow and flourish. It has to be two way. What then ought you and I to be thinking about each day as we come to Jesus? Well, Paul would indicate very clearly here in verse 24 those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. In 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The first thing we must do is die to self daily. The second thing we must do is relate to our God through His Word, through prayer, through worship and fellowship. We die to self. We live out the Christian disciplines. Paul says, the one thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. May it be that we would know God enabling us to apply these three priorities. I just want to read from Chris Webb's book um, as I finish. A 20th century Swiss writer, Emile Brunner, once said, The church exists by mission, as a fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. It's a stirring and evocative line. But it simply doesn't echo the priorities of Jesus who clearly and repeatedly placed love, love for God, for one another, for neighbor and for enemies, at the very center of the life of God's kingdom community. Almost every line of the gospel seems to say, rather, the church exists by love, as a fire exists by burning. Where there is no love, there is no church. Whatever we understand by the idea of mission, it has to be seen as an expression of our primary vocation to love. It is never an absolute in the God-soaked life, never superior to the life of love. There'll be no questions going out for the midweek, wherever you meet and whenever you meet, but I want to give you something to think about and to talk about, and maybe to get back to the elders about. Paul says in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Might you just take a little time with the other members of your house group to think about what are the good things? we are doing as a fellowship in these days? What are some of the other things we might be able to do according to our gifting and resources? But also, talking amongst yourselves, ask, what am I doing? What is my family doing where we live and work for the people that we meet each day? The good, the bad, and the ugly. And how in that discussion the Spirit of God will lead us into activities that He would seek to use for the good of others and for His glory. Amen. Is that okay?